I'm the CEO and co-founder of Fitbox and today I'm inspired to be in conversation with TK who's the founder of Unstoppable Strategies and who gives that TK energy so if you actually have seen any of his videos uh, you'll absolutely love them. Uh, TK thank you so much for uh, doing this with us. Thank you for having me Vidya it's an, it's a pleasure to be here. So you've been an entrepreneur, you've written a bestseller, and you also are an angel investor. So I'd love to know a little more about your journey, right from Taudab to Marketo to Adobe to the, being the founder of Unstoppable Strategies. So what inspired to do this, you to do this? Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll give the quick like 30 second LinkedIn profile. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur and in the SaaS industry for the last 10 to 15 years, uh, which is always weird to say because I without my beard, I would look 15. Um, but I, uh, I did my first startup when I was in college. It was an online calendaring company. We got acquired by the time we graduated. Then I worked at a company called Plaxo. Uh, it was founded by Sean Parker, uh, oddly enough, uh, who's, you know, the Sean Parker from Facebook. He, he started Napster and then Plaxo and then joined up with Facebook. Um, Plaxo got bought. I, I switched over to working at Bridgewater, which was a hedge fund. Uh, did that for a few years. That's Ray Dalio. Uh, he wrote the book Principles, so you're probably familiar with them. Um, and then I started my own company again. I started a company called Tout App. Uh, I wanted to, you know, the entrepreneurial bug bit me, and I wanted to go at it again. So I built out that company. Uh, we were backed by Andreessen Horowitz, uh, a few other really great venture capital firms. Uh, we grew it to about seven million ARR, and then we got acquired. Uh, my company called Marketo. Uh, I joined Marketo. Marketo was a, in a PE buyout phase by Vista, joined their executive team. Uh, we did a two-year transformation and then we sold Marketo to Adobe. Um, and then through all of that, I essentially had 15 years of operating experience and starting companies, growing companies, selling companies multiple times over. And A, I was a little tired. Uh, B, uh, I wanted to try something else. And so I started a YouTube channel and I just wanted to kind of give back. And I started talking about founder mindset, how to run uh, high performance organizations. And eventually that evolved into uh, a book. Uh, I published a book called How to Punch the Sunday Jitters in the Face. It's an international bestseller. Um, and as I was doing all of that, startup founders kept coming to me and saying, hey, can you just give more startup advice? Why don't you talk about startups? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like taking a little bit of a break. I'm going to talk about this mindset stuff. But eventually, like I got sucked back in and I, and I started talking more about building and scaling SaaS businesses. And today, as it stands, we're the fastest growing B2B SaaS YouTube channel on YouTube. Um, we just hit 10,000 subscribers worldwide. 20% uh, of the founders that watch are actually out of India, which is pretty amazing. Um, and so that's, that's what I do now. I give founders uh, unstoppable strategies on how to grow their SaaS businesses and how to also run themselves as high performance people. That's awesome. So if you go to your YouTube channel and just look at the likes, you'll see a like from me on probably every single video of yours. <laughs> That's amazing. I appreciate it. it. it you totally smashing awesome. that like button. <laughs> you bet. You bet. In fact, you spoke about um, really helping SaaS founders with that unstoppable go-to-market go strategy. And uh, SaaS in 2021 seems a lot different today, especially post-COVID. The world is different. There are some headwinds and tailwinds. So what do you think are some of the key differences that you see in SaaS probably 10 years ago to now? Yeah. Well, I think like 
you know, they th- if you think about the world as COVID beneficiary versus not, majority of SaaS has become a COVID beneficiary. Unless you are in uh, SaaS for travel or SaaS for the event industry, um, most of the other SaaS people were maybe apprehensive about using software to digitize and they, that, ha- that changed really quickly as COVID happened. So by and large, majority of SaaS has kind of benefited. And I think that's really powerful. I think awareness of SaaS is just so much more. And, you know, right now I work with about 100 founders, just myself, in, inside of my uh, strategy programs and advisory programs. And what's eye-opening to me is just how many categories and subcategories and industries and verticals there are for SaaS. And I think the biggest change that's happened is 10 years ago, you had very horizontal SaaS. We were just trying to convince people to put their data in the cloud. Today, we're convincing the real estate industry to switch to a real estate specific customer relationship management platform or billing platform in the cloud. So, and and that alone is a massive market. Um, And so I think that's the biggest thing that's changed. COVID accelerated digital transformation and every industry, every category, every department is looking for an edge to go digital faster, to be able to work from anywhere faster and SaaS enables that. And so I think the market is hot because of that. Awesome. And I'm glad that I started a SaaS company and uh, you just reassured that. And to many other founders out there who started SaaS businesses, it's a great time to be here. Uh, I really like that you use the index cards in all your videos. And if you were to talk about probably the top three skills of entrepreneurs today being in SaaS, what would what would you bubble them up to be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, since you seeded it, I think the index cards, for those of you that aren't familiar, like I do a video twice a week on a topic around growing your SaaS business. And, you know, it's a 10 minute video, but video, believe it or not, it's like takes a whole day to create those the two videos for the week. Like a 10 minute video takes like a half a day to script and craft. And the, the challenge is how do you take a complicated topic like go to market or fundraising or how to structure a demo and the challenge is how do you break it down to three core points? Here's everything you need to know. And the challenge to myself is how do I fit each of those three points into an index card? Because I know if I can do that, I can, in 10 minutes, I can have you walk away with some actionable strategies. And I would say that's probably the number one skill for founders, your ability to communicate succinctly uh, to talk about a concept uh, in as few words as possible, as succinctly as possible, and as in, as in an interesting way as possible. If you can nail that, then you know recruiting people into your team becomes easier. Raising money from investors becomes easier. Uh, uh, talking to customers and convincing them to buy your product becomes easier. And I think that's fundamentally like overlooked your ability to communicate and succinctly pack complicated ideas into simple, simple, simple sentences. Uh, that's super important. I think that's the first one. The, the second one I would say, I think, is um, really thinking about the world on, on like a first principles basis. I think, you know, Elon Musk has made first principles very much like a mainstream thing, but not everyone still understands how it works. 
And this is one of the things I really learned at Bridgewater while I was working there, I think to think about, not about how do we just solve this problem, but thinking about what is the class of problems that we're solving and how should things work and what are the inputs and the outputs and how do we create a system that really streamlines this? Um, that's what creates original and differentiated and really big ideas. And I think your ability to think conceptually about the world and asking how should this work around the problems you want to solve is very, very important because that will permeate into the type of product you build, the type of market you go into. Uh, one of the biggest problems I see in SaaS, on, on one hand, SaaS is great. On the other hand, there are a lot of derivative SaaS ideas. It's like, we're this, but we, you know, our color is different. Or we're this, and but we're cheaper. And the thing is, when you're thinking about software, people are putting their business on it. They're, it's their mission-critical data, mission-critical operations. The last thing they want is something cheaper. They actually don't want something cheaper. In fact, they would rather pay more knowing that they'll be better taken care of. It's with a more trusted company. They're secured. They're going to innovate on the roadmap. So no one wants cheaper. So, so thinking first principles about what is your differentiator in the market and how you're really going to contribute is super important. And I think that's the second skill as a founder. Um, and I think the third one is, you know, you can, if you combine the two, I think you really get the third one, which is embracing sales and marketing. Um, I think being able to build a product is easier than ever before. There are no code tools now. There's engineering available all over the world at all different prices. So building a product and slapping a cheaper price on it, anyone can do, but that's not what helps you win. What helps you win is creating a differentiated product and telling a differentiated story to the market. And so being able to embrace sales and marketing so you can rise above the competition, the derivative ideas and differentiate yourself, I think is the third superpower that uh, founders need to have. Awesome. Thanks, TK. And instead of the grandma test, I'm going to use the three index card test going forward because simplifying <laughs> communication is probably, you said it, it's absolutely a must and love your other two points as well around value as well as around sales and marketing. Um, which brings me to the next question, because along with you, there is this uh, you know amazing team of people who actually made it happen in Taudap, in Marketo, and Adobe, and today in Unstoppable. So are there any leadership practices that you use, especially when it comes to managing and leading teams? Yeah, um, I, I would say the biggest thing is have a written down hiring process. Um, you know, Vidya, I'm sure you've been in, before you got into the startup game, I'm sure, you know, you had a job, I had a job. And a lot of times I saw even in some of the largest organizations, recruiting and hiring devolved down to a bunch of people kind of getting in a circle or a conference call. And it's kind of like, yeah, I kind of like that guy. Let's hire him. And that's typically how hiring processes break, break down. And so the biggest thing I've instilled, even when we were like hiring our third employee or fourth employee uh, back in Tout App, and I learned this at Bridgewater, is again, to fit, think first principles about the job, the role, the hiring process, and ask what are the five things, five, five attributes in a person that we really value for this role? And let's write those down. And for each person that's interviewing that person, 
let's have them write down whether it's a yes or no. Do they have this five, this out of the five attributes, do they, is it a yes or no for you? And let's talk about that in the interview review process. See how many yeses we got, see how many no's we got. And then let's talk about, okay, is there a hire here or not? And what we found was when you wrote it down and when you tethered yourself to a set of attributes that really you valued and you had a discussion around those attributes, you tended to make better hiring decisions. And I do that even today, like Unstoppable is a very small team, but even now we follow that written down process. And so I think that's what I would say, like, you know, after your, after your first hire, you really need to think about how to actually have a written down process on your hiring. I, it sounds super boring. It's, it's like super boring, but it's, that's what it takes to be successful. That's what brings the discipline. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you because if you get the right people in, you can move faster. If you get the wrong people in, they may set you back by a few months to a year. So putting in that extra effort, especially in hiring and spotting the right people is absolutely a great skill for a founder and the rest of the team to have. So completely agree with you. In fact, we follow a similar process over at Fitbots where we say, okay, is it an affirmative yes from everybody? And if not, then you know why? And let's talk about it. So I, I, I really align to what you said. Speaking of alignment, and I'm just going to make, you know, draw you to a leading question because here we are, Fitbots OKRs, and we love OKRs. And, and uh, you made this amazing video on the seven-step process on OKRs, which I've liked and seen as well. So we'd love to know <laughs> a little you. more about um, your experience with OKRs. How did you use that, especially when you scaled Taurat? Um, I think you introduced it when it was a seven-member company and you scaled it from one million ERR to seven million ERR. Yeah. So yeah, more. yeah. Uh, if you think of, I love OKRs too, enough to where I, I don't. I think that OKR video went a lot longer than ten minutes, if I remember right. Um, and uh, you know, if you kind of think about the the startup journey, you know, there's a moment where it's literally you and maybe your co-founder in a room, and you're like, we should go start a company, and you know, you get a brilliant spark of an idea, and you start doing a bunch of things. And when you have two people, it's fairly easy to look at each other in the eye and say, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this and then we'll figure it out and then we'll see if there's a thing here. And okay, so then you fast forward a few months, uh, say, suppose you hit some success and you're like, you know what, this is great. We raised some money. Let's go hire three more people. We need three people. So then you bring the three people in. And even then with five people, you can kind of look around in the room and look each other in the eye and do a stand-up every single day and say, all right, here's what we need to do next. As you start to approach seven people, eight people, nine people, you start to hit upon uh, a body of research called span of control. Span of control is, is well-researched around literally what is one person, how many people is one person capable of directly managing? Um, and it's a kind of a transitive idea from how many deep friendships can one person manage? So science and research from years and decades of research has shown that a just normal human being can manage about 40 to 42 personal deep relationships at most. That's it. Makes you kind of wonder how you keep track of all of our cousins, right? Like it's like that, that that's how you don't run for any other friends. Um, and when it comes to managing people, uh, studies have shown the span of control of seven people is pretty much as high as you can go. You can have seven direct reports, you go above seven direct reports, 
you're in trouble. And in a startup, you're gonna go past that. There's gonna be a point where you probably have 12 direct reports and you're trying to hire a VP. Like that's, it just go, you don't have the luxury to say, we should hire a manager now. It's like, no, we need more doers. We don't need a manager. And even if we hire a manager, they need to be doing. And that's, that was the reality of what I faced. And you start to realize that there's gonna be span of control issues. Uh, and then you start to realize that, okay, I'm hiring VPs and how do I make sure these VPs that take over these teams are gonna push as hard, have clear goals to go after, they can be measured on whether they're good or not. You know, there's a lot of stuff that complexity that starts to come in. And I'm a big, I, I'm an engineer by trade. And so I'm a big frameworks person. You know, I, I'm a, we built Teladap on Ruby on Rails. Uh, all of our new stock products, we build, still build on Ruby on Rails. Ruby on Rails is a great framework, in my opinion, still. And there are other frameworks that have followed since then. It, it just makes sure that you're not starting from scratch. So I was like, there must be a framework for making sure that I know what my employees are doing, that I know that we're pushing hard, that my leaders are aligned, and we're going in the same direction. It's got to be better than writing our company vision statement, which doesn't mean anything and people forget about and so that when I did my research, I came across the objectives and key results framework. Um, I saw the CEO of Intel who popularized it, who's passed on since, uh, since then, uh, talk about it. Um, I saw uh, a number of venture capitalists who have taken it to companies like Google and Microsoft and Intel. It came from Intel. Uh, they adopted it. And it started. I started to see a pattern that pretty much every major company in Silicon Valley that were successful were using OKRs. And, you know, success always leaves clues. So for me, I'm like, cool, if it's, if it got them success, it's going to get us success. So that's when I started to adopt it. Uh, and, and then I, I, 10, 12 years later, I'm still in love with it. And I recommend it for every founder that I work with. Awesome. Do you, uh, can you remember any favorite examples of OKRs that uh, you use either in Tauraf or in Unstoppable Strategies? Uh, you know, company building is like, it's all the boring stuff that yields the best results, you know? And so OKRs, we try to make it where it was really direct and boring. Like we, number one, we always had a revenue objective like what's going to be our revenue objective. Number two, we always had an innovation objective. Uh, and then number three, you know, we had like an aspirational objective. And so for a while and tout, we had one, it was, uh, we called it paint the town tout blue. And paint the town tout blue was our way of saying world domination. We wanted every single sales team in Silicon Valley using tout app. Uh, we wanted every single sales team in software using ToutApp and our way of communicating that to our employees. People said it all the time in our objectives, like literally it was like paint the town top blue. And, uh, and, you know, so, and, and that was like, it carried a lot more feeling and, and like a mission and then just saying, we want a hundred customers. It's like, yeah, we had that in the results, but in the objective, so paint the town top blue. And it meant something to us. We felt that. And I remember in all hands, like people would say like, yep, we're painting the town top blue. And it's like, had a good feel for it. And so that, that's one of my most memorable objectives from what I remember. Yeah, I love it because it's so inspirational and so memorable. And that's what OKRs should do. It should not be boring and something probably, you know, one of the to-do lists. 
Uh, you did a 10 minute video on OKRs. We do a 90 minute session on OKRs. So you can imagine, um, but we love your 10 minute video, by the way. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you should let me know the URL. We'll add it to our OKRs video description. So if people want more, you can go for the 90 minute version. Okay, awesome. I'll do that. Um, you speak a lot about uh, a growth formula for your business, uh, but at the same time, you also speak about the growth formula from a life perspective because in Unstoppable Strategies, it's about business as well as life. Yeah. So, so how do you look at the growth formula in the context of these two, business and life? The business may be easier, but I was very, very curious to know about the life part. Sure. Um, uh, so the context around this is when I went through my startup journey, um, I realized that success in business is 50% strategy and execution of like all the business stuff that we obsess about. And 50% is just you running your own life effectively to be an effective leader, you having the right mindset, you running at peak performance. Um, that's 50% of the game. If you're the vehicle through which the business is created and if the vehicle and the leader is not running at peak performance and it's not gonna, the business is not gonna do very well. Um, the years where I really took care of my mindset, uh, my health, um, my, the way I operated in my day, the, my business did better. The years where uh, I didn't, the business suffered. And sometimes there was a delayed effect, but it was always correlated in a way, in, in one way, shape or form. And so in business, you know, we thought we talk about, well, exactly what we were saying, like we need to have objectives. So we need to have key measures. In business, we talk about, we need to have a clear vision of what we want. In business, we talk about, we need to have the right people involved to make sure they have clear responsibilities for the tasks that need to be done. In business, we say we should have standard operating procedures and systems in place. In business, we talk about how we should measure uh, and look at the dashboards and look at the data and tweak it from there. And these are all business things that we all understand well. In life, we don't have any of that. We're not taught that in the third grade or, or anything. And what I realized is similarly, like if you're CEO of a startup, you're essentially a professional athlete. Uh, a professional athletes, you know, when you think about a professional athlete versus any other athlete, you know, they have a whole team around them. They have systems around them. They have processes around them. They have clear stakeholders that manage them. And professional athletes, their body is their machine and their business. And so they operate that in a very specific way. And so I started getting obsessed with the idea of how do I, how do CEOs run their own lives like professional athletes would, or like you would run a business. And I started to think, well, you should have a clear vision of who you want to become five years from now. Uh, that seems like a good thing to have. If you're going to build a business, you're creating a mission statement for the business. If you're the leader, you should know why you're doing it and what your vision is for your own life. Um, you should have clear goals that, that are laid out for the year, like five goals across specific areas of your life. Like you should have a wealth goal. You should have a health goal. You should have a relationship goal. You should have a giving goal. Uh, you should have a personal self-development goal. Um, write those down. Um, once you have the goals for the year, you sh you, you, right now, you probably do quarterly business reviews where you look at your OKRs and see how you're trending. 
maybe you should sit down every three months and think about, or maybe even every month on how those goals are tracking and what habits are propelling you forward and what habits are holding you back. That seems like a good idea. Um, and, you know, when Sunday rolls around and you're going into Monday, uh, you're starting to think about what does my calendar look like? You get a little bit of the jitters because the transition in the work week can be difficult and you're trying to plan out your week on what needs to be done for the business. Maybe you should spend 30 minutes thinking about what went really well for you in the past week. What were some wins for you personally? How are you feeling? What felt good? What felt bad? What's bothering you? And maybe you should set aside some time to solve for that. So just like you would plan for the week for your business, you'd plan for the week for yourself. So I started obsessing on like, if you pull on that thread of if you run yourself like a professional athlete, what are the things you would do? If you run yourself like a business, what are the things you would do? And all of a sudden it became crazy to me that we don't have, say, an OKR system for our own lives, or we don't have a way to pause and reflect and do quarterly reviews for our own life. We don't have a way to craft a vision for who we want to become five years from now. And so that's why I created Unstoppable Life. Uh, and, and I go into a lot of detail around this in, inside of my book, um, where I talk about these five key steps. How do you have a five-year vision? How do you have a one-year goal? How do you review every month? How do you plan for every week? And how do you run each day in a purposeful way? Those five key pivot points. And I started doing, I started developing that over the last 10 years, just as CEO and a senior executive, because I realized I needed to run my life like a pro, like a pro athlete. And as I started to do that, it started to work really well. And I started to teach other people to do it. And now I think we've sold about 4,000, 5,000 copies of the book. Um, and that's what we teach inside the book today. And that's kind of the whole idea behind having a personal life strategy, just like you would have a business life strategy. Yeah, absolutely love what you're saying. And, you know, with that reflection comes penny dropping moments, which become so, so important as we develop as people and in turn develop businesses. So you're, you're so right when you say this. Um, you know, thanks, True, thanks, yeah. thanks so much, uh, TK. I think this was such a, such an engaging conversation. And uh, you actually gave us the time, you know, going back to your giving goal, you gave us the time, um, you know, for speaking to us and sharing all these learnings. So I truly appreciate that. Um, is there any favorite book or quote which you would love to leave us with? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I have so many. Um, my favorite book of all time is called is The Alchemist, yeah. uh, Paulo Coelho, uh, yeah. and it's my mo one of my most favorite books. I think, like, particularly for entrepreneurs. Uh, it's a great book to read. So if you haven't read it yet, you should read it. I won't give too much of it away, but uh, I think that all of us have an essential life purpose. And sometimes we're not able to write it down and articulate it. We're in the process of discovering it and we're feeling our way through it and we are exploring it. And as we're doing that, I think the universe gives us clues on if we're on the right path or not. And if we're on our true path, um, and the book is about that journey and how to, not so much how to do that, but the journey and the story of how someone does it. And that ins inspired me to listen to the universe for clues just like that. And it's helped me a ton. Thanks, TK. Absolutely. Uh, you know, love the book as well and uh, set of rich learnings in the book. 
um, thank you so much, so much for being part of this and um, for this great and engaging conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. You had great questions and it's great to hear your insights also. And I'm really excited for everything you guys are working on at FitBots. Thanks, TK. And I'll wait for your Sunday video because you're going to drop it in the inbox soon. <laughs> Don't forget to smash that like button. <laughs> I always do. <laughs>